I'd like to encourage you to open your Bibles, or if you have one accessible there, uh, take whatever Bible is available to you. Uh, one in the pew, I'm sure, is uh, in front of you. And we're going to look at two passages of Scripture to guide our thinking right now as we remember uh, the life of Edna May and the blessing that uh, she was through God's work in her. Psalm 150 is the first of these. Psalm 150, this is the last one of the Psalms. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, uh, so I'll keep that in mind if you are using a different one, that's fine. Psalm 150 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We just sang, praise my soul, the king of heaven. Praise is an important word in the Christian's vocabulary. I don't know how many times praise is mentioned in the Psalms, but just in this one psalm, there are 13 references to praising God. Two in each verse, three in the first one. 13 times, praise the Lord. I think we can pretty well figure out what the emphasis here is. This is the climactic psalm of all the, the uh, inspired, the only inspired hymn book there ever was. And it is fitting in my mind, it is fitting that we think of that as we remember Edna May today. She was a dear friend to us all. Uh, she loved her students. She loved teaching. She loved her friends and her family. She loved uh, her church family. And it was very evident uh, by the way she lived her life, sinner though she was, like we all are, but she lived her life giving abundant evidence that she loved Christ and she wanted to worship Christ and praise Christ in his sanctuary. And that's what it said. Praise him, praise God, verse one, in his sanctuary. That's our calling as believers in Christ, to praise God, praise him privately in our own sanctuaries in a sense, Praise him publicly with fellow believers of like heart and mind. And Edna May made it obvious that she wanted not just to play an instrument, she wanted to be in God's house. And she wanted to use the gifts that God had given her to express her praise and to encourage others to praise along with her. There's no one else worthy of this kind of praise because God is superior. God is supreme. He's the only true God. Now, Edna showed her love for Christ uh, and her love for Christ's church 
even when it was not easy for her to praise God in his sanctuary. She was here just a couple of Sundays ago, the last time that she would be here. And it was very clear to me, as well as to others, that she wasn't feeling well. Of course, she had congestive heart failure. And uh, she was declining, slowly but surely. And of course, ultimately, that's the reason the Lord took her when he did. But she was here, and she wanted to be here and play, even though it hurt. And I'm quite sure that she was confident that um, that was what she needed to do. And she did it. And she is a great testimony to us because of that. Now, I'm not here so much to praise her. You already know, most of you, of course, know a lot more stories about Edna Mae than I do. You know a lot more about her than I do, even though I've known her a long time. But I want us to think about ourselves in a good sense. What does, what does her life and what does the Bible and how it taught her, how does that instruct and help us? We're still here in the land of the living. Now, with that in mind, I want you to turn to the other passage of Scripture that you see in your program, and that's 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look very carefully at verses 3 through 9. I want us to think about this together. Verses 3 through 9. The Apostle Peter wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor, uh, praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. To me, this passage is a good overview, if you will, of what it really means to be a Christian. We can't help but think uh, that right now, death is on our minds. That's why we're here. Someone dear to us has died. And we are reminded not only of that, but we're reminded of the fact that that's going to happen to us too. 
because of sin, death has come into the world. People sometimes wonder, why do people die? It's because of our sinful natures that we inherited from Adam. And we are all born with a sinful nature. And that breaks us down, rendering us incapable of living the way God wanted us to live when he created us. So what is the answer to death? What do you believe happens when people die? Would you look with me at, at three words here, three very important words found in these verses that I've read that explain the Christian view of death? It doesn't tell us everything the Bible says all in one place, nor does it tell us everything we might want to know about death, but it tells us things that we need to know. And it's all based on these three words. The first word is this, hope. Peter talks here about the hope that God alone can give. If you look again at verses three through five, that's where we read about that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Born again to a living hope. What is the source of our hope? Where does our hope come from for the Christian? It doesn't come from your latest bank statement. It doesn't come from your portfolio. It doesn't come from the analysis that's made when you have your annual physical and the doctor tells you what your condition is. It doesn't tell you that your hope is based on just wishing that everything will work out okay, whatever that means. When you die, where is your hope? Peter says, we've been born again to a living hope. Living hope as opposed to a dead hope, a hopeless hope. And that's what many people are clinging to. They're basing their hope about the future on the way they project things need to happen. And if they don't happen that way, and probably they won't to some extent, then their hopes are dashed. But look at what Peter's saying. You're a brand new person. You've been born again. You were spiritually dead to God. Physically alive, physically dead. You've been born physically, but you need to be born spiritually. Like John, uh, in John, where Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Only God can do that. He's the source of our hope. Down in verse 23, uh, he talks about being born again one other time. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. What's the basis for this living hope? Peter says it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
And that encompasses everything that Christ has done for those who come to living, uh, who are born again and come to a true faith and have that living hope. He says, Christ was, Christ was raised from the dead. He conquered death. Because he conquered death, everybody who is united to him by faith alone also will conquer death. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection from the dead and our glorified bodies and souls. I want to say something very clearly here. There is a very great difference between our perception of hope and the basis for our hope. Big difference. You may have a perception of hope where you say, well, my hope is on this or this or this. Or you're just kind of guessing and hoping that the stars are all, are all aligned right and everything just works out so and, and somehow you end up in heaven and you don't have to worry about dying. That's not a very... That doesn't um, promote confidence in us. Too much uncertainty. The Christian is different. The basis of the Christian's hope is what happened on the cross when Christ paid for the sins of all his people, suffering the wrath of God for us, and then rising from the dead and going back to heaven, sort of blazing the trail for all who would come after him and be one of his disciples. There's a great hymn that I know Ed and May love to, to play, and I love to sing it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame you know, the most, the nicest feelings that I have, I don't trust those, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Those are powerful, biblically exp expressing biblical truth. And so we have a hope that God can give us, and it's certain. He tells us there, the last couple of verses we read there, that we're going to obtain an inheritance. Are you expecting an inheritance from someone in your family that uh, when they die, their will is going to reveal that uh, you've inherited something? It may have been a rocking chair. It may be 500 acres out in farm, farm country. Whatever it is, it's not going to last either. You see how Peter put it? Verse four, you've obtained an inheritance that is imperishable. Not only that, but it's undefiled. It's, it's totally pure. It's unfading. It's not an inheritance that's based on, let's say the stock market and you're getting so many shares in your inheritance and then that goes south and you see your inheritance slipping away. <laughs> that's not gonna be the case for the Christian when the Christian dies. The inheritance is there and nothing can change that. Nothing can take it away. That's what Heather May had her hope in. And it's kept in heaven for you. I love that. It's, it's, you've got a reservation. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
When I come again, I'm going to take you to myself that you may be where I am. You ever think about your place in heaven like that? It's kept, it's reserved, it's, it's there for you if you know Christ. Now, all of that is a source of great comfort because we have hope. Do you have that hope? Is your hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? Not your own. We also have sung a song recently here, and Edna Mays played that as well with our other musicians. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. Some of you know that because you've sung it with, it, with me. Now, the second word, I won't be as long on these two. The second word, though it's equally important, not only the hope that God alone can give, but the joy that involves, strangely enough, trials. He talks about that joy in verses 6 and 7. In this, everything he's just said about our hope, in this you rejoice, shouldn't we? <laughs> if we have a, a true faith, saving faith in Christ alone, leaning on him as our righteousness and our, our way to the Father in heaven, giving him our sins and him giving us his righteous standing, if we have that, we ought to be rejoicing. He says, he talks about rejoicing again a little further down there. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It's a joy that's so deep and rich and wonderful that it's hard sometimes to put it into words. Sometimes you can see that joy on a believer's face. You know, you walk up to him or her and you know that that's not an artificial joy in their face. Not necessarily a big toothy grin. We can fake that. How are you doing? Fine. No, it's deeper. It's solid joy. Another hymn. Solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. But it's mixed with trials. Because he says there, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There's all kinds of trials that we have. I'm not able to read minds and I can't look into each one of you and say, oh, I know what trials you're going through. No, I can't do that. But God knows. There are probably some trials that you are experiencing that Hardly anybody in this world knows, but God knows. And that joy can remain. James, in the first, second verse of his letter, talks about that. He mixes our faith with the reality, or our joy with the reality of our trials. And we need to be able to see that our trials, whatever they are, are designed by God and in place for us for our good 
and for ultimately bringing glory to God as he works and grows us through those trials and brings us out of those trials, sometimes before we die, but always when we die. That's the end of the trials. That's the end of the trials that Edna May has had in her life. If you know Edna May pretty well, and I would guess most of you, if not all of you know, know, knew her very well, you know that she had her trials. We all do, and she had hers. But I want you to understand, she doesn't now. There are no more trials for her because she was a believer in Jesus. It's not because she was some super strong person. She wasn't. She was like us. Sometimes we handle it better than others. Sometimes we say, why, God? Sometimes we're just totally perplexed. But God's got this, as we say. It's a part of his plan. And so Peter could say, you can rejoice, though now for a little while, a little while, you have been grieved by various trials. That little while is important. That means our trials are temporary. So I would just say, we won't have those when we go to be with the Lord. And so we're going to be tested. He talks about gold being purified and tested by fire. And when that testing takes place, and that's they did that in Peter's day, when that testing takes place, the gold reveals itself for what it really is. Impurities are burned off, but the essence of the gold remains. God is purifying us, and he's, he's proving that we really are believers in Jesus because when we go through those trials, we lean on Christ. And he, in love, graciously comes to our aid. Joy. This joy is so deep and so solid and so profound that whatever's going on on the surface of our lives, the storms, whatever it is, the joy is, is underneath that. And then the third word, the hope that God alone can give, the joy that involves trials, and lastly, the faith that leads us home. Those are three pretty important words. Hope, joy, faith. And so in the last two verses we read, eight and nine, Peter said, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Doesn't, that's not saying that we aren't saved until we get to heaven. The Bible talks about salvation really in three different ways. We have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. We have been saved from the penalty of sin when we came to Christ and he, we were justified by faith in him we are being saved in the sense that that justifying faith now moves into sanctifying faith where we grow in holiness and become more and more like Jesus over the years of our lives that remain. And then there's a sense in which we will be saved. 
when everything is completed, the whole process is done at the end when God takes us to glory. And that's what Peter's talking about here, the outcome of your faith. What is this faith that you've, you put everything on, on Christ and you're, you're banking on him? And when you die, is it going to work? <laughs> Will it work? It works every time for everyone who knows Christ, the salvation of your souls. Now, he says here, you can't see God right now, but you will. <coughs> Excuse me. Is any, any of you ever seen God? <coughs> I mean, literally. Of course not. And you may wonder, well, sure would help me a lot if I could see God. <laughs> well, God knows better than that. We, we put our trust in things all the time that we can't really see. And supremely, we need to trust in God because he has spoken to us. He has revealed to him, himself to us, especially in the pages of God's word, the Bible. We can't see him with the physical eye. <clears throat> but Jesus told Thomas, who doubted that Jesus really had risen from the dead. Well, Jesus showed up one day and said, here I am. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, oh, are you believing in me just because you can see me? Blessed are those who haven't seen me and yet believe. You don't have to see God with your physical eyes to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But of course, there is the fact that we will see God one day. We walk by faith right now. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, trusting in what God promises us. And yet the day will come at the resurrection when we are glorified and perfected, body and soul, and we will see the Lord Jesus. Revelation 22, 4 says, and they will see his face. To some extent and some, to some degree now, even before the resurrection, those who have died and gone to glory Behold the glory of the Lord. They see him. Faith has given over to sight, spiritual sight and physical sight. Edomay's already enjoying that. And we will too if, if we understand our dreadful, sinful condition and our desperate need for a new heart and a new life that only God can give. And so Christ is offered to us all. Christ offers all that he is for all that you are. And you can put that trust in Christ if you have not yet done so. Some of you have, I'm sure. Some of you may still be working through that or struggling with that. Come to Christ as you are, and he will come to you. And you will know what it is to be born again to a living hope 
that provides joy even through trials and enables us to have faith that will lead us all the way home to our eternal home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks today for the blessings that you granted us with our knowledge of and love for your servant, Edna Mae McCoy. Thank you, Lord, for changing her heart, and giving her new life in Christ, and giving her, Lord, love for others and love for you, a desire and, a, and uh, the gifts you gave her to worship you, to praise you in music, and to teach others to play as well. But most of all, we thank you that we do not have to fear death, that Christ is the one who conquered death, and he is the one who will enable us to conquer it as well as we go through these earthly trials. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that the gospel provides us, the joy that remains even when we are in turbulent situations, and the faith that you enable us to express by trusting you all the way through this life until we are home. Hear us, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>